Praise the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome, and the Lord bless you all. I'm going to give Mrs. Cannon. Uh, children, Children's Church, you're dismissed. Um, I see Becky over there to the under the exit over there. If you guys will uh, follow Becky. Those of you who know the routine, parents who are here, they usually just send their parents right over there. But uh, we don't expect you to be that trusting if you're new and you have kids between the ages of 4 and 13. Uh, there is a check-in desk over there that I would, I would encourage you to walk with your children to the uh, check-in desk. And uh, uh, they will be assigned a code and you will get a, a ticket that you only the person with that will be able to come and pick up your child. So there is a safety mechanism built into it. So. We're not, in, we're not asking you to let your kids wander off somewhere you know not of. Well, praise the Lord. Um, <clears throat> let's uh, go ahead and get into the word today. Uh, and I'll be coming mainly out of Matthew chapter 18. I'm still doing the parables of the Lord, and this is another one of the kingdom parables. I appreciate y'all for indulging me in this. Have uh, have you been getting anything out of the parables that that I've been covering over the last uh, month, a couple of months or so? All right, Amen. God is good. Praise God for His Word. Uh, it can really speak, and it's really powerful, regardless of the uh, imperfection of the vessel preaching it. So. Uh, Father God, I just thank you for this opportunity to share your word and and uh, just let me be a vessel through which your word can go forth uh, and have its desired effect, uh, your desired effect in, in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, um, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Uh, addresses a parable that is commonly referred to as the parable of the uh, unforgiving servant or the unmerciful servant, uh, depending on your translation. And I'm going to start at the 21st verse reading, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Did anybody ever ask that question to a parent? Maybe you didn't ask it of God. Maybe you asked it a parent about a sibling or something, you know, and your parent is trying to train you in, the, in forgiveness. And you're like, how many times before I can whack him over the head or something? But he asked him a sincere question. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts uh, with his servants. Now, I, 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 I want to remove any doubt here. Jesus is not giving him a specific number after which you can do whatever it is your heart wants to do. Uh, to retaliate against someone. He's basically, he, he's basically taking the number off and making it so large, it's highly unlikely 
that a brother of yours or a neighbor of yours, an acquaintance of yours is going to uh, sin against you uh, in that major way 70 times 7 or 77 times. And so he's basically conveying uh, the message that, well, uh, this is something I want you to practice. As, as As much as forgiveness is needed, issue it. And then he says something here. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children in all that he had and payment to be made. So the severest of consequences for the debt that he owed. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now, I found resources that that gave different amounts uh, but 10,000 talents, you know, it could be as low as millions, as high as billions. I mean, it is an extremely large debt. It was an unpayable debt if it were translated in today's currency. So he owed a debt that he could not pay. And the king had just declared what the consequences would be But the servant begged for patience and promised if he had more time, he would pay it back. I don't want to be repetitive, so I'm going to get into these a little bit more. So I'm just going to read through and we'll come back through it. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me. I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant? as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Everyone say from your heart. It's one thing to say the words, but the forgiveness issues from the heart. Note here, Peter just takes for granted that he must forgive. He didn't ask him if he must forgive. He said, how many times? So he understands. He remembers the Lord's prayer when Jesus taught them to pray. Father, forgive them. 
when he says, Father, forgive my debts as I forgive my debtors. Forgive my trespasses as I forgive those that trespass against me. And he, and he remembers God saying, if Jesus saying, if you do not forgive others, God will not forgive you. We don't like to talk about that, but it's clear in Scripture how important forgiveness is to God. So Peter, he just, he, he takes it for granted. Obviously, we're supposed to forgive. He just wants to know what are the limits. I'm sure Peter thought he was being ultra generous when he asked up to seven times. And uh, I forget the scripture reference, but there's a scripture that says the righteous man falls seven times and gets back up again. I don't know if he was thinking about that verse or not. Uh, so we forgive seven times uh, or not. But, but Christ's answer answers him not with not just with the number. He says, I want to get this number out of your mind. Now, forget 777. I'm going to give you a parable, and I'm going to take your mind somewhere farther uh, than it is currently wanting to go. The parable here represents the kingdom of heaven. I know it's, this parable is typically called the the parable of the unmerciful or unforgiving servant. But the unmerciful servant is presented as a cautionary tale in this parable. It really isn't about him, though. Jesus began the parable by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, which means that our attention should be most focused on whoever or whatever represents the kingdom of heaven in this parable. In this parable, the kingdom of heaven is represented by a king. A king who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. So if we're to be kingdom-minded as we strive toward godliness that I talked about last week, then the focus of our attention should primarily be on the conduct of the king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Do you have that? I wanted to get our thinking or challenge you to get your thinking not just to focus on the unmerciful servant. Cautionary tales deserve our attention and there's a lesson we must learn from them. There's a warning there not to engage in a certain thing. But when, it become, but when it comes to the issue of godliness and walking with the Lord and being kingdom-oriented, you know, we would be better served to focus on the example of righteousness. The example put forth by the Lord. The example put forth by the kingdom that we should walk in. And so we have a cautionary tale that, we're got, that we can't help but spend time on addressing because he asked for mercy. He had a debt that was too large for him to pay. He begged for mercy and promised to pay it. But although the king was well within his rights 
to throw the letter of the law with him, the king, out of a compassionate heart, had mercy on him. So, there are three things in this parable that we're going to address. First thing, the king's compassionate mercy toward his servant who owed him an enormous debt of 10,000 talents. And I have to repeat that. When the servant heard the severe consequences he would suffer because of his unpaid debt, he begged the king for patience. All he asked for was more time. If you give me more time, I'll be able to do it. He didn't ask for forgiveness of it. He just asked for more time. He promised to repay the debt if he was given that time. But out of pure compassion, if we, as we read verses 23 to 27, the king forgave his debt of 10,000 talents. You know, we're all going to give an account to God one day, aren't we? Whether you're a believer or non-believer, we're going to give account to him. Uh, we're we're going to settle accounts with God. But, and, and that's something that we ought to, it ought to be weighty in our hearts. It ought to be at least to some degree a motivator for us to be about our Father's business and do the work of the Lord and be faithful in the things of God. As we walk his earth. As we live the life that he gave us. As we walk in the calling and anointing and purpose that he bestowed upon us. As we interact with the people in the, in the field that we're supposed to be harvesting, right? As we interact with the people around us, we're going to give account to God for whether or not we honored him in the way that we did it, right? And so we, 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 we have to have that and keep that in mind that we have a king that we're accountable to. And he paid our sin debt through the death burial and resurrection of his son Jesus Christ he says we're bought with the price we've been redeemed right our life is no longer ours our life belongs to him and he says this life that I now belong that, that I now own this life that I've purchased this is what I want you to do with this life and we're accountable to him to do it And we're going to give account as to whether or not we obeyed him and honored him. And one of the areas will be in whether or not we were obedient to him in areas of, like, forgiveness. Mercifulness. Compassion. So the example for us to follow here is the compassion and the mercy shown by he who represents the kingdom of heaven because that's what should be a, a defining characteristic of the kingdom and the people thereof. Are you hearing that? 
Let's turn the page here and, and focus our attention on the servant. Now, this servant just got more than he asked for in the way of a pardon or a clemency or, uh, or mercy, whatever word you want to use, in the way of compassion and mercy from the king. And I was just going to reference it, but I, I want to go back there. And he, no sooner than he left the king, he goes and, and hunts down a fellow servant who owes him a much smaller debt. And he was not so merciful. He did not share the mercy that he himself had received. Scripture says that he grabbed the fellow servant by the throat. And demanded that he pay him. This is a man who was in this guy's shoes to the 10th degree earlier. And now here he is in the position the king was in with someone who owes him a debt. And he is grabbing him by the throat and demanding payment. So we're going to look at the servant's lack of compassion and his merciless mercilessness toward a fellow servant. All right? So he was facing a superior that he owed a debt to. Now he's got a peer of his, a fellow servant, that owes him a debt. And if you pay close attention to the story, you might notice that he didn't just bump into the fellow servant that owed him a 100 denarii. He hunted him down. And you can tell what was on his mind as he was looking for him. There was no compassion in his heart. No desire to be merciful. He wasn't thinking about the compassionate grace and mercy he just received from the king. His mind was consumed with the debt his fellow servant owed him. You can tell that because of how he immediately assaulted the guy when he found him. That's not something that just spontaneously happened. He built himself into that as he was thinking about, as he was thinking about it. When I see this guy, I'm looking for him. He owes me a debt. When I see him, he grabbed the man by the throat and started choking him while demanding that the debt be paid. He wanted his money and he wanted it now. That sounds kind of like that commercial. It's my money and I want it now. The fellow servant would either pay him what he was owed today or face the consequences today. That was his mindset. The fellow servant begged him for patience just as he himself had done before the king. But he received no compassion and no mercy. The unmerciful servant had his fellow servant immediately thrown 
into prison. You know, and I'm thinking about that, and I, and, uh, I hope this doesn't feel like a stretch or anything, but it, it's, it, it's my duty and, uh, and my calling to, to, to challenge the church to, to walk in the way of the Lord. And, 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 and I, I just look at this story and say that many Christians today make the same mistakes the unmerciful servant made uh, in this parable. We are saved by the glorious grace of God, right? By grace through faith. God had mercy upon us and, and sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. Did he not? And while we walk in this salvation that we have by the grace and mercy of God, we don't always extend that same grace and mercy to others around us, do we? We need to remind ourselves that but for the grace of God, we would all be doomed, right? Um, and the greater the sin, the, the, to me, the greater the miracle of salvation. The greater the sin, the greater the grace. Their grace much more abounds, right? The greater the sin, the greater the mercy. And, 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 I, I, and so, to me, it would speak to the love of God even more that, it, it, that the church of God can put our arms around and, 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 and embrace sinners. Not, not condone. Not champion and celebrate ungodliness and unrighteousness and so forth, but 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 to see the individual that Christ died for, and to see their value to God, and to care enough. See, when it was his debt that was owed, and he was on the chopping block with the consequences, it mattered to him. He was passionate about. About, about getting mercy and getting patience. But it, when it was another guy's pro- problem, there was, no, there was no compassion for that guy. And how often today as Christians, if stuff doesn't come near our door, that's somebody else's problem. We, 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 we don't have compassion for the people in our community, especially if we've judged that they're in those conditions because of their own doing. And so we dare to get on the throne of God as though our judgment is just in these situations and we end up veering away from the heart of compassion, the heart of mercy that God has commanded us to walk in. And I say that, I want to be clear about that so that we can guard against that, right? It's, it's, if something's happening in another state, if something's happening at the other side of town, if something's happening to someone that I don't know, uh, am I able to have a heart of compassion and mercy enough to even pray for that individual, to reach out to and see what I can do and some way I can be of benefit to that person? Do I care enough for it to matter to me? Now, this is a little bit different because this guy, the debt was owed to him. Right? The debt was owed to him. 
The king didn't tell him to have the mercy against anyone that owed him a debt. You know, you just would have thought that that's what he would have done. The king forgave him his debt. It doesn't say in the scripture that the king said, now you've been forgiven. Now go out and forgive everybody who owed you anything. The king didn't do that. He just forgave him his debt. But how he treated this guy here, his fellow servant, tells me that his plea to the king wasn't from a repentant heart. It was just from a desperate guy who didn't want to face the consequences of his situation. Because if it was from a sincere, repentant heart, then he would have issued the same forgiveness that he had been given. Are you seeing? Are you hearing that? And so this was not, he was forgiven. But he was never repentant. He, was, he never humbled himself before the king. He just groveled. He was just, he was just doing what he felt he needed to do to get out from under the consequences. And let that not be us. You know, uh, CJ before me used to say, you know, let's not just accept God's salvation to have fire insurance. All right? Let, let's not do it just to avoid something, all right? Let's not do that, all right? God does not just want us to prevent us from getting to hell. God wants relationship with us. We are entering into, we've entered into an eternal relationship with the God of our salvation. He sent his son because he wanted us in fellowship with him, right? And so we're in relationship with God. We're in covenant with him, right? And so let us do what we do out of love and gratitude and, and to the glory of God, the one who saved us, right? The one who loved us enough to give his only begotten son for us. We're going to return that love by doing what pleases his heart. Are you hearing me? And I know all of us in our homes, in our, in our everyday lives, we have slights that happen to us. Uh, we have sibling rivalry, sibling conflict. Uh, we have spousal spats and all these things. And, you know, it's so easy to go into battle mode. And when you get there, you're, you're all in and you're in it to win it, right? And we lose sight of the fact that, okay, Yes, I do believe I'm right here. You know, this guy was right. He wasn't wrong. He wasn't unjust in approaching the guy to pay his debt. He wasn't unjust. It wasn't unjust for him to do so. He was not obligated to forgive a debt just because one had been forgiven to him. But he was obligated to treat the man with some dignity and respect. He was obligated to walk according to the commandment of God. And what does God say when we have these these disputes, when somebody owes you something? Okay, in private, go to the individual. Let the individual know the wrong that they've committed you. 
and reason with the individual, and hopefully you can win your brother or sister. All right? If the person doesn't listen to you, tells you to go away, you bring another brother or sister or two, all right, and see if the person can be reasoned with. If not, bring them before the church. If not, then regard them as a unbeliever or a publican is what the scripture says. That's what scripture says. This man didn't go to him privately or respectfully or reasonably. He was out of control and he accosted him in open public. So he wasn't there trying to honor, he wasn't there to honor God in any way. And how many times do we justify certain actions or attitudes or behaviors because we believe we're right? And our perceived rightness causes us to justify what should not be justifiable. I can't tell you how many times I caught one of my daughters whacking the other one with something. Well, I mean, they're not super violent, but, you know, they, they, they would do something that was inappropriate. And I would catch them, and I would call them on it. And they're, but Dad, she did. You didn't see she did first. And I was like, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. I was like, you cannot use the actions of someone else to justify wrong actions of your own. And, and, we, and we're going to need to, we're going to need to acknowledge that before God, that, that it, we need to abandon any notion that I can justify my actions because I'm right. If our actions are not in accordance with Scripture. Are you hearing that? And I wish I could tell you that my daughters were like, you're right, Father. I agree. I will repent to my sister right away. No, they did not do that right away. There had to be cajoled and convinced. And at some point, I just, uh, like the dad did on that movie Inside Out, just had to put the foot down. And, and tell them it, it's time to do our RFR, all right? Repentance, forgiveness, restoration. But they will continue to argue it. No, it's not fair. And I said, look, I will deal with your sister. But right now, you have to be accountable for your actions, all right? And we need to have the same mindset as, as men and women of God. That we are accountable to God for what we do, for what we say, for how we behave. And, and God has not given us an out. He didn't say, hey, I, I, I want you to obey me in this unless somebody gives you an excuse not to. Right? And so... We're going to have to live by God's standard, live by God's word. What does God's word say? What fruit of the spirit, what are the fruit of the spirit that he's called me to? What are the works of the flesh that I am to avoid? You know, I won't get into the, uh, the long list of things, but I just, I just wanted us in this area, this man was unforgiving and unmerciful to someone who owed him a debt. 
And I think the call to us here is that we not be unforgiving and that we not be unmerciful uh, uh, people who lack the ability to have compassion toward and, and empathy towards those. who are who are either in our, who are in some way in our debt all right you know it kind of reminded me uh you may not necessarily have to uh, turn there Desiree but uh, how many of you remember uh the in, in Luke chapter 7 there is a story toward the end of the chapter a Pharisee invited Jesus into his house. And he was into, he was fellowshipping with him and enjoying a meal. And a woman came in. She wasn't invited. But she came in. And she came there to meet Jesus. She got herself to his feet. And the Bible says that she was crying. She was sobbing. It says that she came in there with, a, uh, with an alabaster box. But it says she was so moved in the presence of Jesus that she, when she came there, she came there, she was crying. She washed her feet with her tears. And she dried them with her hair. The Bible says she even kissed his feet. And then she began to anoint him. And the Pharisee sitting there, he's, he's pretty disgusted with this whole thing. It's like if this guy was any kind of a man of God, uh, uh, you'd think he'd know what kind of woman this was. This woman, the Bible describes her as a sinner. You know, and Jesus knowing the man's heart, you know, and, and the gist of it was that, look, he who has been forgiven much, loves much. He who has been forgiven little, loves little. And he looked at that precious woman and said, your sins are forgiven. Right? And here we have a man of God, a Pharisee in the house. He could not get past the fact that she was a sinner. And because she was a sinner, she didn't have any place. She didn't have any point of being here. If he was a real man of God, he would know that and he would have sent her away. But Jesus was like, no, 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 the real man of God. All right. I, I'm going to show you what a real man of God does. This woman here, she came here acknowledging the error of her way. You invited me in your house. It's like you see me as a peer. You know, you've not been humble. You've not received me as the, as the Lord and, and 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 Savior that I am. You know, you you don't you feel like you're okay with God. You don't feel like you need to be humble and and receive me with humility. She's come in with her head bowed, with her eyes shedding tears, 
at my feet, won't even look up at me because she knows she's a sinner in need of forgiveness. And I can't help. I mean, God has really softened my heart. I I can't help even when I'm looking at those who are walking in sin and degradation. I cannot help but see those people as lost sheep that Christ died for and that Christ desires to be in relationship with. I, I can't help but to see them that way. And and. And, and, and the compassion of God just moves on me toward those individuals because he, I know the heart of my God is that they be saved. Where they're headed, he does not want them to be there. He does not want them to end up there because they'll end up there in, in eternity in, it, in a place that was never meant for them. And I know there's a lot of issues in this day and time that grab our attention. There's a lot of opportunities for people to, to, uh, Lord have mercy, uh, uh, social media apps and TV and everything. There's always some controversy. There's always some reason to, some, some divisive issue. There's always some group that is being held up as some kind of problem. And you know what that does over time? That begins to harden our hearts. And make it difficult for us to, to, to really have compassion towards people and to really hear God as to how we might minister and make it, minister to people and make a difference for the kingdom in this day and time. And so we have to really guard our hearts diligently and not allow them to become hard so, so that we can be dispensers of God's love, be dispensers of God's grace, be dispensers of God's mercy. In, in, in a way that will help people feel and see the love of God so that people like the woman in Luke 7, you know, so that people like woman, that woman in Luke 7, when they, are, when they are convicted, when they are ready to acknowledge their sin, there is a representative of God that's, that's there, that's, that's ready to, to bring them into the kingdom fold. That's ready to welcome them and not assault them with the sins of their past but but rejoice with heaven that this soul has re, it has repented and is ready to come to the lord are you hearing me on that all of us i mean you know i i, I won't say some of y'all are pretty young i don't know but I, I would say all of us you know have fallen short of the glory of god And maybe we've been, some of us have been saved for such a long time, the, uh, the feeling of our first love has kind of waned with the Lord. We've been walking with him so long that, it, that, that it's, it's too distant in our memories, you know, our salvation experience. When the day that the joy of the Lord came upon us because we, we knew that God was real. And we knew that his salvation was real and that and we, we, we know that there is a change that went on inside us, that we are saved, we're redeemed, our names written in the Lamb's book of life. And I have an eternal date with Jesus. <laughs> Amen. I have an eternal date with Jesus. 
my, my, my eternity is secure in the Lord. So, how far did I go on that? I think I did the two. Oh, yes, I did the two. Uh, and the third one uh, is the master's reaction when he found out about the cruelty of the servant that he had just forgiven. Why did I say earlier that he assaulted the guy out in public? Well, it's right here in the passage. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place. So this wasn't just a one-on-one encounter. There were witnesses to it. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place in verse 31, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. I don't know, and I doubt that this happened, but I don't know that they were present when the master forgave the unmerciful servant. You know, I believe he he went in to settle up accounts with the master, with the king. But they were present when he encountered the, his fellow servant. And what he did has such an impact on them. They, the wrongness of it, it was so severe what he did that they decided they would go and tell the king. It distressed him. And when his master summoned him and said to them, then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. Now, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Isn't it interesting that he calls him a wicked servant? It doesn't, it doesn't say that he was walking in sin, you know, out in frivolous living and so forth. But the character of what he did pertains to wickedness. You know, it's, it's, it's wickedness to be unmerciful. It's wickedness to be unforgiving. That, that's what this tells me here. You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father would do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You know, there are real world consequences. You know, there are real world consequences to not walking in forgiveness. I said there are real consequences to not walking in forgiveness. I, 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 I don't need an amen. I, I, I need you to hear it. <laughs> All right? Because there's a reason God emphasizes it so much. It will eat us alive walking in unforgiveness and bitterness. It just eats us up. It does not. It does no harm to the person you're not forgiving or it may do harm, but it, does, it doesn't do as much harm as it does to you. And we see here, Jesus was very intentional with this parable. He tells me God is not playing around with this forgiveness thing. 
He is not playing around with this being merciful. He's not playing around with expecting us to have compassion toward others. Are you hearing me on this? He's not playing around with this. God, you know, and, and I, I tell you what, this, and love compels me to say this, this really ups the ante for those of us in the body of Christ. Uh, we, we, we do a thing in our home, and we got it from uh, Growing Kids God's Way, called Elevating the Good. All right? And so we, and, and the concept is, I love you enough. I value our relationship enough that I'm going to endeavor to elevate the good, to, to encourage you to do right in this situation. And, and we tell our kids, don't just run and tattle. Give your sibling the opportunity to have a change of heart. Give them the opportunity to repent, okay? Hold them accountable in that way and say, when you do this, it makes me feel this way. I don't, I ask you to stop it and so forth, and, and if they don't stop it, you say, okay, hey, I've asked you to stop it. If you continue, I'm going to go tell, raise the issue with mom or dad. All right? And so you're, you're, you're giving them a chance. Hey, there is a bridge over this troubled water, okay? And I'm giving you a bridge. I'm giving you the opportunity to walk over the bridge. But if you insist on wading in the troubled water, eventually I'm going to let you be held accountable. Because we need accountability in the house of God, y'all. We really do. We are accountable to God, and we need to care and love one another enough that we're going to elevate the good in one another, right? And, and you know what? After that second warning, after they say, hey, I'm going to go tell Dad if you keep this. I've asked you to stop. You, you keep doing it. If they test you and do it one more time, commit and i'll tell them you commit to telling dad don't if they do it again and then say oh no okay i won't do it again no 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 you did it one too many times now there's going to have to be some consequences and then i have to follow up so that there are consequences so they know hey this is a line you do not cross when you get when you're given the opportunity to elevate when someone's trying to elevate the good you're given the opportunity to do right all right, then you need to honor God. If you're wanting to walk with him and you want to honor God, then when given the opportunity, you make right on it. I think that's how iron sharp is iron. I, I think that, that, that that's all part of bearing one another's burdens and, and, and other one another's of Scripture, that, that, that we are to be like a family. We are the family of God in that, in that God... We are, we are to be participants in this process of the spots and blemishes and wrinkles being purified from the body of Christ. Okay? And, and I know conflict, you know, people like to avoid conflict or, or we know we got our own issues so, so we don't feel comfortable in, in uh, you know, confronting one another in love. It's okay if you do it in love. If you, it's better that you tell a person that they did something that offended you than for you to stay quiet and let that fester in your heart and let, and let you see that person a certain way and they're oblivious to the fact that you see them that way 
And, and you can't even love them as a brother or sister in the Lord because you've not forgiven them. You've not initiated the process that God ordained for, for the forgiveness and the reconciliation to take place. Right? And so I would challenge you, if you have a brother or sister in this body, or, or just wherever, brother or sister, I know you got Christian friends that, that don't go here, but if you have a family member or friend or neighbor or, 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 or fellow brother or sister in the Lord, and you've been harboring something in your heart, and, and, and you haven't been able to, um, and you haven't said anything to them about it, I would encourage you to say something about it you might be surprised what you may thought was an intentional act to offend you might have been something that was meant totally different. We don't know if we don't communicate. We don't know if we don't obey God in that and allow the process to have its way. Are you hearing me? But, but we need to do it not you know, to really point the finger at the person, but we really want to honor God because we want to be in right fellowship with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. We, we want to be a positive influence on God working and maturing that brother or sister of ours and, and for them to have a positive influence on us that way, right? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's what the Lord's Prayer says. And lead us not a temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So, and I'm going to wrap up here in James chapter 2. But what can we learn here? What did the king expect? It says here, the same king who had earlier forgiven his debt after he heard what the servant did to a fellow servant, he changed his judgment and made the unmerciful servant pay the penalty that he had earlier forgiven him of. So I said that unmerciful servant is a cautionary tale, you know. Uh, what can we learn from him? Well, I've kind of alluded to it, but one, the thing that we can learn from it is um, uh, we, we need to continually remind ourselves of the grace of God toward us. The mercy that God bestows upon us every day. You know, if you're like me, there's 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 reason for me to pray every day asking God to forgive me. And while I don't make light of it, I, I just like take it for granted that, you know what, uh, I, I, I humble my heart before God and ask his forgiveness. I take it for granted that he's going to give it. 
right? I mean, he's going to give it. Um, He's a merciful God. And so we need to uh, we need to remember that. We who have been forgiven, we who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We who know the tender mercies of God are the only ones that can can express that which we have personally experienced. And so let the mercy of God flow through us. So let's let's be in constant remembrance of God's love and mercy, compassion uh, toward us. How many times did Jesus do, uh, you know, work a miracle for someone? The Bible says he was moved with compassion. And uh, and that brings to the second thing: he should have at least been able to relate, having just been in that situation and gotten better than he deserved, he should have been able to have compassion and and, and relate to the situation that the fellow servant was in with him. He should have seen his distress and just, oh my gosh, I was just there. So we have a duty to forgive. And since God's not playing around, there is a danger to not doing so. In conclusion, James 2 verses 12 and 13 say this. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Remember I said we're all going to give an account. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, as much as Jesus knows, judgment awaits those who reject the gift of salvation. He is not relishing the judgment that is to come for those who die rejecting his salvation. His eager expectation, his desire is is that they come to the knowledge of the truth. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so let us be more mercy-focused and less judgment-oriented. By doing so, we will be demonstrating the heart of our God. I'm going to ask you to stand. Father God, again, I just want to thank you for your word, Lord. And and, and Father, I just pray... Didn't necessarily get into everything I wanted here, but I just pray that what was said is what was needed to be said, Lord. And, and Father, we thank you for these parables. 
that Jesus gave, parables of the, that pertain to the kingdom. And Father, thank you for speaking to us that this isn't just a parable about an unmerciful servant, but that the one who represents the kingdom of God in this parable is the king. And that king was both a just king and a merciful king. A king who had all authority, who is not afraid to mete out consequences for those who deserve it, but whose heart is soft enough that when those who deserve consequences kneel before him and beg for mercy, he has a heart of compassion that allows him to show mercy. And Father, let that character trait that is exhibited, a character trait that this parable says is, is, is a character trait of the kingdom of heaven. And those of us who are members of the kingdom of heaven, let that character trait be in us and be expressed through us in our own lives, in our homes, in our communities, in our places of work, our places of worship, Father God, in our various spheres of influence. Because the kingdom of God is here. It is with us. It is among us. We are, those of us who belong to Christ, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is here. The world can't see it. They can't see it, smell it, touch it, taste it. They, they, they don't know you, Father God, but some of them know us. The kingdom of heaven is here in us. Let that be manifested in a way that is observable to those around us. That they might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. So we thank you for the example of the king, the kingdom example of the king in this story and uh, the challenge that we uh, conform ourselves to your kingdom standard. Father, we pray that above all that you are glorified and exalted in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh,